Welcome to the Modern Therapist's Guide to Nothing. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Modern Therapist's Guide to Nothing, where on each and every episode, we take a topic, theme, or thing, overanalyze it, make it all make sense in the scheme of life, living, and mental health. My name is Dave. I'm joined here with my co-host, Greg. Greg, how are you doing, sir? Dave, I'm doing great. Like this, this episode is one I've been waiting for. This is one I've been waiting for. It's yeah. been one I've been afraid of too, because I, I, like we were talking about off air, we don't get this right. Well, we're going to alienate, you know what I mean? Like it's, I, people I was very it. excited when you told me that we were doing this. I thought we would cover this in nostalgia. When you said we were doing BBD, Belle Biv DeVoe, I was like, whoa, <laughs> that is an episode I really can dig my, my teeth into here. Oh, Dave, I hope that means that I'm not, I didn't have to do all the research by myself. Wait, wait, of wait. course, Dave is kidding. And we're covering borderline personality disorder. AKA BPD. Yes. BPD. So, but see, even that, I don't even go with the BPD because that, that gets confused with bipolar disorder. And as we'll talk about, they get oh. confused enough as it is. Yeah. Um, oh. And I do want a, little, a quick little preface. You know, I wanted to pe- let people know that in this episode and, and maybe in all episodes, we're not going to be able to explain everything fully. But if it gets everyone interested and maybe looking at it up on their own, that's what makes us happy. Like a little bit yeah. of interest, a little bit of, you know, that's what we're yeah. looking for here. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So we'll just do our best to cover the material as as good as we can. We'll try our best not to mansplain it. Right, Greg? Mm-hmm. We couldn't if we tried. <laughs> Good call. Good call. <laughs> so and Greg, where, do, where I, do you think is a good place to start covering this? All right. I think a good place to start is to sort of get a little bit of an understanding. Okay. Two, two things. Firstly, I don't want to touch or even, or even glance at the DSM until we have sort of talked about this in the way that we see it manifest in actual people and kind of get our own ideas of what it's like, um, what we see borderline personality disorder to yeah. be um, through, through our own lens. And then, you know, maybe we can, we'll line that up and we'll look at the DSM and see it, see where that lines up. Sure. Um, but I think it's a good place to start is just like, what are, what is a personality disorder? Cause I think it's important to know what a personality disorder is because borderline is the one that kind of stands alone. So when I think of a personality disorder, it's like, it try to think of a circle with all um, little components of personality in it, like, you know, maybe assertive or quiet, friendly, suspicious, confident, um, you know, funny, all, all these little tiny uh, pieces of a personality in this circle. And they're all relatively the same size. And once in a while, everyone will get bigger, bigger during a, a situation. A personality disorder is when that whole circle is filled up with one of these Mm. So, so say it's suspicious, it would feel like your whole personality is suspicious. And then sure. you might have a, a paranoid personality disorder. So that would be a personality disorder. So but what narcissistic makes, would be another example. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and that, that's what makes like borderline a little bit different because that, that circle will get filled with one and focused with one specific emotion, happy, sad, angry, but it gets switched out all the time in circumstances, right? So someone might make you super lovey and make you feel good and then you feel really good or make you feel really sad and then you'll feel really sad. And that's that's kind of the difference between 
personality disorders and borderline personality yeah. disorders. And now from there, I think we can start talking about, you know, at least getting to what borderline personality disorder is. Okay. So, um, Greg, I know that you made um, mention uh, when we were chatting off air, but there is uh, three sectors of borderline personality disorder, correct? Yes. yes. Do you want to you want to let us know what those three sectors are? <laughs> yeah. So I think the three sectors are you know intense, unstable relationships. That's that'd be one piece of it. Yep. Another piece would be emotional dysregulation. You know, yep. having a hard time keeping control of your emotions. And then the third one would be those behavioral indicators that would tell us through someone's behavior that they might be suffering from a, a borderline personality disorder. So let's look at those all separately because um, I think it's a really important part. Well, I should say a really important part of this is that relationships um, piece of it, right? Absolutely. A thousand percent. Yeah. And that, you know, um, within the relationships, you'll see this pattern of uh, instability, right? Mm-hmm. Greg, what is all that instability? What is that kind of rooted in? So I think the the what drives all the intense, unstable relationships, the I love you, I hate you, is, is a fear of abandonment. Yeah. It's sort of at the core of borderline personality disorder. They're afraid that they're going to be alone. They're afraid that, and it's almost, I almost wouldn't even call it a fear of abandonment because that's, sometimes that's confusing. And I think it's a fear of, putting their trust in someone, the fear of a trusting relationship, uh, the fear of a relationship going bad. That's what they're worried about. And that sort of drives all their behavior. They sabotage relationships to protect themselves from that fear. Right. So Greg, I think what you're um, describing here is important. I think both of those things are correct, actually, because those they, it could look different for different relationships. We're not just talking about romantic relationships or intimate relationships. We're talking about family relationships. We're talking about friendships you know, all the way to the the more intimate kind of relationships. And it, it can, like you said, with those two examples, it can look different. It can be that fear that this person is going to break my trust somehow, or this person's going to leave me. I'm going to end up alone. Um, yeah, there's there's some sort of thought that that relationship is, is going to leave them alone in some way, shape, or form. They're going to get trust. Uh, they're trust broken. So they can go from feeling like I don't deserve you. You're going to end up leaving me to I'm going to hurt you before you hurt me type of uh, mind frame. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and then another piece of that is that I see that I don't know if it's, it's like mentioned in any of the research or anything, but this is almost with every um, borderline patient that I see, there's, there's almost this, they, they become overly involved in, in people's lives or under involved. Yeah. Involved. You know what I mean? Like I see that a lot. I see like, Oh, I couldn't get a hold of my friend. I called and called and called and they, they were, they're not kind of picking up the cues that the friends may be avoiding them. And so they show up at the friend's house. They talk to the friend's family. They kind of keep digging in a little bit until they get a hold of, of this person. And to the point where it's like, they're not seeing that this can be seen as sort of like manic behavior. Sure. Yeah. And within the, you know, that relationship kind of along these lines too, there's also sometimes like these idealizing of the person. So it's like, this is the greatest person in my life. You're the best thing that's ever happened to me to with the flip of a switch, it can go into you're worthless. You mean nothing to me. Um, you're, you know, you're less dehumanizing, you know what I mean? So there's like this, this really like 
rigid back and forth that happens in these relationships. And Greg, what you're, you were just describing just reminded me of something. I think also, you know, because of that back and forth, sometimes when they push the person away and then they realize that they're pushing the person away, they get, there's a fear that they're losing that person. So there, it's like an overcompensation almost to get them back. Like, oh no, I can't let you go. I have to pull you back. And I think that's where like some of that over-involvement in the relationship can, can start to happen, right? Yeah, and we'll get into it. And that 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 thing that you're talking about now is sort of also causes sometimes um, promiscuity, looking outside of the relationship for mm-hmm. like a safety relationship. So you have this boyfriend and things not going great. I have this other kind of boyfriend to fall back on. Yeah. Boyfriend or girlfriend, yeah. you know? The one last part about the relationships piece that I wanted to mention was it's for the person that has the, uh, the borderline personality disorder, it's as if they're in this constant state of hypervigilance within the relationship. And I I know you're probably going to talk about this a little bit later, so I won't go too much into that, but the other person in relationship to them has like almost total control, but I'm sure the other person doesn't, you know, perceive it that way. Like, Oh, I can, you know, at any point in time I can shift their mood. That's not their intention, but that person is being so vigilant as far as like aware of, this person seems like, uh, it seems like I'm losing them or, Oh no, it seems like they're too close or whatever. It's like, they're constantly like trying to evaluate where that person is in the relationship with them. And ultimately that they allow the others to have too much control in the relationships, whether that's right, intentional almost, on that person's end or unintentional. Yeah. It's almost like they're living in this, like, like an exaggerated world is like kind of what you're talking about where like every little thing someone says has this hugely deep meaning, or it can mean that, you know, if you disagree, then that's like the end of the relationship. They're not understanding that, you know, relationships are never going to be perfect. You can have disagreements and that doesn't mean that, that it's not a secure relationship. It just means that it can happen. And yes. and people with borderline personality disorder are so worried about being alone and so worried about being abandoned that any little sign of danger and they jump ship. Right. And that, you know, Greg, I made a note that I wanted to talk about interpretation because that's in literally what they're doing throughout the whole relationship. They're trying to interpret what that other person's doing, thinking where, what the status is of the, of the relationship based on that other person's actions. Yeah. It's like that meme where like, it's like, there's like a cartoon of a guy, like, thinking about like a, a llama or something and, and the woman's on the pillow being like, well, he's probably thinking this, 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 and this. And he's just like thinking of nothing. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's what, well, that's how it's described to me a lot. And I, and I notice both of us, or maybe just me, um, and, and I'm using um, the example of a female a lot in this scenario, but I think there's a reason for that because it's, it's much more common in, in women for whatever reason, or at least, um, you know, the symptoms that come from it are, you know, we, maybe we judge that more in women and that's not, that's not right. Like the promiscuity and the risk-taking behavior. Uh, and, and I think, again, it's probably uh, men these days are, are less likely to report and, and sort of want to work on themselves sure. in, from a mental health standpoint. All right. So I guess we can move on to most emotional dysregulation. Yeah. Yeah. So the, in the beginning I said, um, you know, we shouldn't call it BPD because that can get confused for bipolar because of those sudden and rapid mood changes that happen with bipolar also happen with borderline. And the difference is 
with bipolar, it seems to be sort of on like a clock, like almost like a biological clock. Like you have these manic phases that you go through. Sometimes there could be a trigger for that, but for the most part, it's just based on your biology. It kicks in and you're having a manic phase and then you're in a depressive phase. With this, with borderline, it's very situational. It's very, it's always based on like a social situation that they interpret to be a threat or something that makes them really happy, really sad. So the mood changes and whatever mood they're in, that mood takes up their entire personality. Right. So Greg, if I were um, working with a person who had, board, or if, if whether if I'm questioning borderline versus bipolar, it sounds like using something, like giving some homework in asking them to do like a mood log with and trying to identify triggers or s- mm. situational settings that might have attributed to that. It sounds like that might be an effective way to be able to gauge yeah. difference between bipolar versus borderline. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, like, cause like with, with uh, bipolar, you'd be like, next thing you know, I was, uh, you know, uh, on a, you know, I bought $10,000 shopped yeah. on Amazon, whatever it is, it's this like risk taking, just sort of manic behavior and it came out of nowhere where the the borderline would a uh, situation would be this happened my friend said this my mother said this and i took it this way and then this behavior happened sure so sure. the constant mood shift it's just like it's like what we said it's an exaggerated world it's like they the a mood hits sadness super sad happiness super happy and that's that can become really dangerous when we start to talk about the behavioral side of it, because these huge episodes of sadness, these huge episodes of despair require something to get relief from them. So a person with borderline is going to look for sources to get some immediate relief from that. And then if they do something that feels good, it's going to feel really good. And those things can be kind of dangerous too. And I think we can talk about that when it comes to behaviors. Yeah. Unless you have more to say about the no, emotional. I, I, let's get into the behaviors because I think this is a really important piece right here too. Yeah. So sadly, like because of these super strong, and I promise this is the last time I'm going to say when you feel bad, you feel bad. Like, I mean, but I, I can't yeah. I stress that enough because someone who has borderline, if they're feeling sad, they're going to feel so sad that, you know, suicide becomes a very real option, right? They, they feel like maybe they're in such, such a period of sadness that there's no hope. And, because they're living this in this exaggerated world, right? Anger can be really big. So when you're feeling that sad, there's a couple things that could happen. I mean, you can turn to, you know, drugs, right? That's going to give you some relief. And a danger with that is if you feel good from drugs, that, that feeling is going to be extra good and you're going to seek that. And then it's sort of an addiction can come. Sure. Um, what else could there be, Dave? I mean, cutting an SSI. You know, I had somebody describe to me some other type of like risky behaviors that probably bring adrenaline, like driving really fast and recklessly. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, any kind of decision that puts you at some sort of risk, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's depending on the person and kind of what they're, you know, any kind of like law-breaking uh, uh, risk could be can, could be, go under there. Something that like that thrill of uh, whatever it is that you're doing, the potential of getting uh, caught and things like that. I think those could fall under there. And even like the, even the, like as I'm thinking about it, like the cutting, we've we've had people describe like why they do that, and it's yeah. you know there's a couple different reasons. Like sometimes they're just feeling so empty, which is a symptom of borderline, so empty and so vacant that you want to feel something. 
So giving yourself physical pain helps kind of jumpstart you into like feeling again. Yes. The other side of it, if you're feeling really down, if you're really, really down and the emotional pain is just so much, then it sort of acts as a transference from right. that emotional pain in your brain to that physical pain, maybe in your thigh, right? And for a moment, you're relieved, you're taken out of that that space in your head where you're so sad and that, that, that emotional pain is turned into physical pain and, in, and, and actually feels good. It's a relief. Yeah. It's like that joke that we would do as kids and be like, Oh, that hurts. You want me to help you? And then you like punch the person be like, I bet you're not talking about that. That pain <laughs> yeah, what never hooligans did you hang out with? I, uh... <laughs> so the other part of this that can be tricky is, you know, we were also talking about those unstable relationships. And I think a part of this also and this is a part where you never want to like uh, minimize what someone's going through, but there's also the piece of this, that some of these behaviors could be used as leverage to salvage a relationship. Right. Like if you, if you leave me, I'm going to kill myself or um, you know, kind of getting that person to be concerned about you. So they show, so they come back because you had that concern, they were leaving you Uh, things like that. So, you know, we never would want to, tell somebody, oh, I don't believe you, you're lying. But at the same time, it is something to, to, you know, keep in mind that these behaviors could also be part of that, um, that push and pull in the, in the relationship. And that's something that should probably be processed for that person with a professional and, you know, This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, one of the things I've been thinking about lately is how effective just talking can be. Yeah, so many of people hold on to things, Dave. We bottle them down. You know, we, we feel our problems aren't big enough to need therapy. But this is the furthest thing from the truth. And I know for me, therapy allowed me to have a space to discuss things I hadn't really discussed with anyone before. That's true, Dave. And I wonder about some of those things you were talking about. It sparked my interest a little bit. <laughs> but one of the greatest benefits of therapy is having your own space and being able to express whatever it is you've been holding on to. With how convenient access is in today's day and age, there's absolutely no reason and not to try therapy. Exactly. And BetterHelp is one of the most convenient ways to give it a try. It's completely online and will work around your schedule so you don't ever have to leave your house. And the best part of it, if you don't get that tingly feeling from your selected therapist, you can switch it up with no fee. Or maybe if you do get that tingly feeling, you might want to switch it up. But BetterHelp understands how important it is that you feel connected with your therapist. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. And visit BetterHelp.com slash nothing today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash nothing. Yeah, and also these behaviors, you know, and we'll talk about it after, like borderline doesn't really come out of the blue. Like it, it sort of develops out of something. Most of the time, some sort of trauma. And what these behaviors put you at risk for is another trauma. So it's these these behaviors like include, you know, promiscuity and drugs and and just like you're talking about, like that risky behavior, like driving fast, hey, like just on a whim, impulsivity on on a whim, just going to hang out with I've I've had someone be at the airport and like somebody asked them, well, Hey, like, what are you, what are you doing? I'm, I'm going on this trip. My, uh, you know, I, I was supposed to be going with this person. They're not coming. Will you go with me? And they were like, yeah, why not? That is like, that's next level impulsivity. And it's, 
I mean, that could lead you to be traumatized in a horrific way. Just not, not really thinking about all the things that could be happening when that, when you're so focused on that one aspect of your personality, like all the other aspects of yourself disappear and all you care about is the moment. And that, that can be really dangerous and leave you in a position to be re-traumatized, creating some kind of complex trauma, making it even more difficult to treat. Sure. I do think that, you know, as you were mentioning before, there's really obvious reasons why this is confused with bipolar. Like mm. a lot of these behaviors that we're discussing also could be seen in manic phases of the bipolar. So it, it, there has to be other things that we look at to kind of start to like piece it apart and to get to the conclusion of what this actually is. And I think the, you know, one of the things to definitely focus on is the relationship aspect. I think that is really telling when you see it happen, not just in like one or two relationships, but when it's in like multiple relationships, all right, there's probably something going on there. Yeah. Like for me, it'd be like to, to kind of get to the bottom of if this is bipolar or this is um, borderline, I would, it would be digging into the history a little bit, right? If you start finding stuff like, um, you know, like a, a bad relationship and or abuse or neglect or some kind of trauma, then you, you'd start like saying, okay, is this where, is this the catalyst to where these symptoms started to present? Because bipolar would be more of like a biological thing where borderline is, seems to be more of a situational thing. Yes. Hey, Greg, I'm really glad you said that because I, when I was listening to a lot of the relationship aspects of it, it was so reminiscent of experiences I had working with um, children and adolescents in residential facilities who had experienced reactive attachment, who had reactive attachment disorder labels. And that push and pull in the relationship, it was like, you know, they, they, so they have this disruption in their, in their caregiving early on. So then it's really hard for them to form trusting and meaningful relationships without panicking and pushing that person away. And I'll never forget one of my first experiences with it. I was, it was as a caregiver that, you know, that I was for this individual, I like started to form a bond with them, feel like I was helping them. And all of a sudden it was like a light switch went off and they just were pushing me away. And I hadn't, I couldn't understand what I did wrong. And then I learned more about the diagnosis and I was like, wow, it is, it is clear as day. Now I, I look about how that probably develops into something like this person, uh, borderline personality disorder. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think we, we use this label very lightly, the borderline no. label. And I don't think we, I think we tend to not use it with, with youth because of first the stigma and then, you know, some of the things that hopefully they can outgrow and they can learn. So hopefully that won't follow them because, you know, it does. Unfortunately, there is this stigma around working with individuals with borderline and how difficult it is. But I don't know that, you know, we were discussing this off air. I don't know that we necessarily agree with that. With that no, I don't agree with it. I don't agree with a lot of things like I, I that have been said about it. And I think that um, it's really something that develops out of a terrible relationship with someone that they trusted at one point. And the way to kind of get to the bottom of it and the way to start healing from it is to develop secure relationships that you know you can trust and to start to poke holes in their ideas that the world doesn't have relationships that are safe and, and that you can trust. So you have to kind of get like help them see that there are relationships that you can have that you can you can count on. And, yeah. and even in therapy, provide one yourself. 
right? That's what I try to do. Um, but you're right. It's a, that can be, especially early on, that could be a difficult little walk. Think about this, um, Greg. If if reactive attachment, which could potentially be a borderline personality disorder because of that relationship with the caregivers early on, if it turns into that, and imagine that person has a child. And if they have that relationship with their child, that could then get passed down to their child. And that could be a, imagine that cycle that can happen if this isn't like worked on at some point in time. Yeah. You're talking like before, I mean, I don't even like you're talking about something that's like almost like generational trauma yeah. where like trauma changes your brain. And when your brain changes, I mean, the beauty is your brain's plastic. So it can change for the, for a negative in a negative way when it's, when it's traumatized, but it can also it's plastic. So it can kind of like change back to a way that's, you know, we learn to sort of deal with it and we learn to, to process things and things can, but if it's kept going left unchecked, I mean, you pass that down from generation to generation. Yeah, it is a really scary thing. Yeah. And it's sort of the same thing with uh, PTSD. And I, and I think there's, we could talk about a couple connections to PTSD, but I, and I think like coming up, I don't know if you got this a lot, but when we were, you know, in graduate school, people were saying all the time that borderline was post-traumatic stress left untreated. And I, I sort of agree with that in a way, but I sort of don't. I think it's, I think it's, I, so I don't even think borderline should be a personality disorder. I don't think, because I, it almost personality disorder seems like that should be something that you're not, not so much born with, but it's almost biological. Sure. This is something that happens and it's a reaction to something that happened to you. So it's almost unfair to give it that like bad. It feels like a form of PTSD rather than something that's. Oh, it does. I, I, so I, I agree with what you're saying. I see why they put it in with the personality personality disorder because it it definitely is very um personality heavy <laughs> with, yeah. with these traits so it, it kind of makes sense in that realm but you're right you would almost start to treat it in the in the realm of like PTSD or in the realm of how you would treat um treat some like behavioral needs with like um reinforcement and you know like using relationships as reinforcers. So right. as you were saying, yeah. like our relationship and getting them to point that out, like the consistency and that people can be trusted over time and things like that. So like, so my, my thing with the PTSD is, is you still talked about it earlier in this episode that PTSD creates like a general hypervigilance, right? Borderline, it's, it's, the, it's the same thing. There's a hypervigilance for with borderline too, but it's an emotional or an attachment hypervigilance. You know, like someone they thought they could trust rocked their core beliefs. So it needs to be some kind of a, a, a different diagnosis, like a post-emotional attachment <laughs> stress disorder. Um, because unlike other personality disorders, it is, it's like a reaction. It's not really the case, that, which isn't really the case with the, the, the rest of the personality disorders like we talked about. So I, I, think, it's, I think it's a little unfair to, to label it a personality disorder. It's, it is, it's an, it's a reaction. It's a defense mechanism and it's just pretty misunderstood. Um, so in like, in my experience, like I said before, like BPD is or borderline personality disorder. It always seems to be connected to neglect, sexual, emotional, physical abuse by a loved one, you know, and it creates this fear of abandonment, which is at the core of borderline personality disorder. And then, like I said before, it's not a fear of abandonment. It's, it, well, it is a fear of abandonment, but it's also a fear of trusting someone because you trusted someone once 
and it didn't work out. Right. It, it just, you know, it all turned upside down after that. So they're afraid to trust again. So when we look at treatment, I want to give a shout out to another another podcast, which I wouldn't normally do, but I feel like it's is really deserved because I heard this really interesting analogy for how you would treat someone with borderline. Uh, the the podcast is Psychology Unplugged, and the the way he described it just spoke on so many levels to me. So you think of the person as a tree, and if you're going to treat the tree, you, you, and if you want to get to, so let's look at the branches are the behaviors. All right. Yeah. So we could treat the branches and try to work on the behaviors, but with borderline, if you really want to treat borderline, you have to get to the roots. Yeah. You can't be, you unless, can't unless treat- the branches are on fire. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? <laughs> Put the branches out, then get to the roots. All right. That's get what I'm talking roots. about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's exactly right. I don't, if I'm working with someone with borderline, if I really want to help this person long-term, I want to get to the roots of what the problem are, uh, is. And like, let's, let's dig up some stuff. Let's get to where that initial abandonment, um, issue come fear comes from, or that trust issue and how that, and that we have to identify that before we can work past anything. If I'm no, you're just right. sitting here, God, I just wanted to say, if I'm just sitting here working on the self-harm piece, or if I'm working on like promiscuity or drug use, I'm not getting to the roots. And this, it, the behaviors are going to continue maybe in just different forms because the, the fear of abandonment or the fear of the trust being broken is, is still there. It's still present. So you kind of have to hit, hit them up with that old school, like cognitive triad. Because you, like, if you're going to get to the bottom of it, you got to figure out how they see themselves. And how they see the world and how they see their future. You need to know those things because that's what's going to be feeding like all these irrational thoughts that they have. Like if they see the world as a dangerous place and if they see relationships as these things that are are impossible to have and they have these, you have to start examining that and kind of like bringing that to the surface so you can check out like the cognitive distortions that they're having and help them, you know, and help to challenge those so that, you know, they can see things a little bit differently or at least start to. And, and while you're doing all this, while you're even calling, hey, you're a tree, you know that? And while, while you're having that conversation, you are doing the best you can. And when you say, how do you treat this? You treat it carefully, right? Because the first thing you need to do is build that trust. Um, because without that, you're, you're, you're one of those relationships that are dangerous and you're getting abandoned. And, and Greg, what you just said right there is exactly why I think it has some of the stigma it has. And there probably is some individuals who have a fear of taking on patients with borderline because what you just said is is the hardest part you're trying Mm -hmm. to work on building trust with someone who has a fear of building trust right exactly you really do have to find that person whether it's a therapist people in your life that are willing to put in that time, put in that effort and also accept you for who you are and that you are going to have struggles with this. This is not an easy thing for you just to put your trust in someone and, you know, assume that their your best interest is their priority. So I think that was a really important statement that you just said, because there will be some people who will not want to treat someone with borderline. That's why you almost have to preface the relationship you're going to have with them with the idea that even this relationship that you're going to have, there's going to be times where you don't agree with me. There's going to be times where maybe I say something that 
you know, you don't like, or you don't agree with, or that makes you want to run. But remember, like I'm here for the long haul and I'm, I'm willing to work on this. You can have a relationship and just because you disagree on something doesn't mean that it's time to jump ship. Like the relationships can last past a little bit of turmoil. And that's like that understanding that and getting to the bottom of that, like you don't have to fear being alone. Someone is always going to kind of be there. Um, if you let them in, it's going to sort of, you're right. It's going to, it's going to calm those leaves down or whatever in the tree metaphor. It's going to make things a little bit easier and you're not going to need to be as promiscuous. You're not going to need to take as many risks. You're not going to need to be as impulsive or, or get into the drugs or anything like that because you're, you've toned down the, the level that those personality traits are coming in. Like you, you've, you've given it some space from her, like from their tough thoughts. I think the analogy you were looking for is you want them to shed their bark. You know? <laughs> That's right. That's shed right, man. I don't, yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Or radical acceptance, right? Exactly, Greg. Exactly. And that, you know, that's, that's such an important thing. And, you know, I hope that other professionals do this, but like, for me, it's really important to let that person know, as you mentioned, there'll be times where, you know, maybe we don't see eye to eye. I'm going to have to set some boundaries up with you um, so that we kind of know what's okay and what's not okay. So we're not like, when we were talking about that overinvestment in the relationship or that we got to make sure we know where that line is, but just be, if, you know, if there's a time where it's crossed, that doesn't mean I'm going to give up. And that's that radical acceptance right there. Right. Yeah. And then this, this relationship that, that you have doesn't, it's not just a therapeutic relationship. It's a corrective relationship because of the things you're talking about, like setting boundaries. That's a huge part of it. Making that like being accountable. Like we have to work on this together. Like all these things are going to be such a big help. Um, and then with, with all that, you know, that good relationship, I honestly believe is the antidote to the, to the negative relationship that caused it. And then you get enough of those and, you know, it starts to not make sense in the head of a borderline personality that, you know, it, it can't be true that the no relationship is, is worthwhile if I'm seeing one right in front of my face. Exactly. So they're getting so that opens you up a little bit. Yep. Yep. And I, th- I think that that kind of carries into then the work that, well, obviously work should be done, be happening at home regardless, but that really does start to carry into how they start to uh, work in their personal relationships. And, you know, that's where the real work's done. Yeah. And just one more thing, like, um, I think a part of it that we didn't really touch on because you're shifting traits so much you're shifting personality traits so much you there's always this unstable self-image and i think helping someone discover who they are and who they want to be and kind of like finding some meaning like a path is a huge part of being on on track like giving something like what who who are you now and who do you want to be and what's getting in the way like oh you want to be this person well this person that you want to be, it can't exist with like suicidal ideation and self-harm and these impulsive behaviors. But if it's who you want to be, you work on it. We can get there together. Yeah. Hey, Greg, just to, you know, tail onto that, another really important piece is also identifying your values and, you know, picking out like, these are my morals. These, this is my moral compass. These are things that I align with. And the things that the actions you're doing that, you know, in that 
struggle to try to pull that person back in. When you step away from your, from your morals, your values, your moral compass, when you step away from that, you don't feel good. You feel like an, like inauthentic. Um, and it just, it just continues to make you not feel like a worthy person. So to like working with someone, you want to identify your, your values and you want to make sure that your actions align with your values as much as possible. And that, you know, if somebody needs, if you have to step outside of your values in order to keep a maintain a relationship, that relationship is probably not worth maintaining. Right. Also really scary for people though. Also with the treatment side, Something we didn't mention is, um, you know, we, we talked about in other episodes how mindfulness can be something that takes you out of like the rumination, the depression yeah. of the past and like the the worries and the anxiety of the future and sort of bring you back to this present space in the middle. Well, with borderline, you're you're way out to the right with anger and, you know, you you can you maybe uh, to the other side with sadness. Right. And and maybe mindfulness can be something that's used to sort of tone down those huge feelings and make them a little bit more manageable with practice. Like people always kind of take a dump on mindfulness, but it's like, if you practice it and you try it every day and you really give it a shot, because I was one of those people, Dave, you remember? I was one of those people. I was also one of those people. Yeah, I was like, this is dumb. But you know, it's once you kind of realize, and I've been in situations. So like, I remember being at an amusement park and being afraid to go on a roller coaster and almost having a panic attack about it. And all these thoughts are flying through my head. But I had been practicing mindfulness every day and I was able to sort of get to a place where I could breathe <laughs> and, you know, get on the, get on the, I mean, I, my son was with me and I didn't want him to view me a certain way. And so I decided. Your you know oldest what? son? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I'm he's just, intimidating. I would do the same. He's a bully. Yeah. He's a bully. <laughs> he came up to me and patted me really hard on the back the other day. <laughs> yeah. He's he patted the Dave. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's kind of an awesome dude. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if you want, Dave, I mean, so this is, this is all us. We haven't touched the DSM. At least I haven't. I don't know what you're doing over there, but I, uh, do you, should I go through and see like what the criteria is for borderline personality disorder and see so the criteria is kind of, yeah, the criteria is kind of lengthy. Um, and I know that we, there's a certain number of, uh, the criteria that you have to hit before you would be. Yeah. I, I mean, sure. So number one is frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment. Uh, number two is a pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships characterized by alternating between extremes of idealization and devaluation. Number three is identity disturbance, markedly and persistently unstable self-image or sense of self. Uh, number four is impulsivity in at least two areas that are potentially self-damaging, such as spending, sex, substance abuse, reckless driving, binge eating, etc. Number five is recurrent suicidal behavior, gestures, or threats, or self-mutilating behavior. Uh, number six is affective instability due to marked reactivity of mood. Number seven is chronic feelings of emptiness. Uh, Number eight is inappropriate, intense anger or difficulty controlling anger. And number nine is transient stress-related paranoid ideation or severe dissociative symptoms. Um, We kind of left, we kind of dropped the ball on the uh, dissociative symptoms on this one. But other than that, I was thinking, did we write the DSM? (laughs) 
it's really like hitting that pretty on the head. But I think that, um, yes, there's certainly uh, lapses in reality. And we kind of talked, use that, the example we use is sort of living in this exaggerated world and, and interpreting things, small things as, you know, meaning more than, than they should mean. There's no, there's no like, um, we're not, we're not talking about schizophrenia here and like these huge dissociative breaks. So, I mean, it's important to mention, but I think the most important thing to look out for is that fear of abandonment and self-mutilating or suicidal behavior. Those are the, those are the ones that are are like real indicators. And, you know, I think Greg, just kind of like recap what our stance is, has been on this, this whole time. We really do want to just kind of give people that encouragement that this is, you know, despite this stigma, borderline really is a treatable uh, diagnosis. And I hope that it's over time, people can understand that a little bit better of how they can, they can help individuals who have borderline. Um, if they kind of look for the root of the problem, you know, I think Belle Biv DeVoe got it all wrong when they said that girl's poison. <laughs> and that girl is just, she, you know, she's just misunderstood. She had a bad relationship when she was young. Just needs her roots healed. You know, but you, you can't, you can't trust a big butt and a smile. Oh boy. <laughs> is that an edit? Who knows? Um, but you know, the thing is though, Dave, it is just this thing where it's someone like if you we were watching someone have, or watching the development of a, a borderline personality disorder on, in a movie, if there was a movie, there should be, um, you would have a very different opinion on how he would judge someone like that. You'd be like, wow, this is this terrible thing that happened to someone. How can I help them? You would say this person suffered um, a bad relationship and all they really need is the assurance of a secure relationship. That's, I mean, it's, it's, it's sad that it has such a stigma. And I think if we can break that stigma a little bit and, and the, and the borderline patients that I have are awesome people, awesome, fun people. Yes. And, um, you know, they're working hard on themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I actually agree with that. I have had a really um, enjoyable experience working with the individuals that I have as well um, with the diagnosis of borderline. Um, I haven't, you know, found it to be something that feels overly intimidating. It's a big task. There's obviously a lot to uh, unpack and unload, but it also isn't, you know, something that I, I feel people need to necessarily be uh, afraid of. And I, no. Greg, I just wanted to really quick, just because we we made a quick note of it earlier, but we didn't really give too much detail. The ratio of male of females to males diagnosed with um, borderline is a, it's a three to one ratio. It's about seventy five percent female versus the twenty five percent male. Yeah, that's big. That's big. Yeah. Which is where that stereotype, I guess, comes from. Right. And I, w- I wonder what that like. So when you talk about things like promiscuity and impulsive and risk taking behavior, I think when you when you're thinking of a uh, like culturally, when you think of a man doing that, it stands out less though, right? You know, some of those risky behaviors probably do fit into some of those gender stereotypes. Yeah, I like that. That's yeah. the one thing. And then, yeah, that's that's sort of unfair. And Greg, um, I'm also going to pose this idea now that, you know, it's 2022 and we're expanding our, our thoughts and our minds about what gender is and different mm. genders in general. And I wonder how these numbers start to adjust over time. I mean, you imagine these situations happening with any individual, male, female, non-binary, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it, 
we'll probably start to see some of these. I do feel like, and you know, as we go forward and get more awareness, we'll probably see a higher rate in males than we previously had seen because we're losing. You know, we're gonna start doing. We, we got to stop seeing all these divides and just, you know, like you said, Dave, we're all a bunch of trees, buddy. We are. And if we take care of those roots, we're going to be all right. It's shedding our bark. <laughs> all right. Now I know. Now this is, I always have that feeling when like the wheels have fell off and here we are once again. But I think we did this. Um, I hope we did Borland uh, justice that it deserves. And I hope we did a service to the people that we know who, who are treating and the people who were who searching for help. And maybe the people who had an interest, um, maybe they're, you know, get a little bit more of an interest and can help someone out. Absolutely. So as always, make sure you guys give us a rating and review. We always appreciate the feedback. It's super helpful. If you guys have any suggestions for topics or ideas, you can hit us up on Instagram or give us an email at moderntherapist.com, moderntherapistguidetonothing at gmail.com, therapist with an S. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. So from uh, Dave and Greg, everybody, have a great day. Yes. Thank you.